And when you talk about, you know, are there ways that we ensure DEI is included or considered? I would say that TFD has a set of, of principles, uh, not just principles that are kind of listed. And for example, a principle is that the process is inclusive. A principle is that there's transparent decision-making, but it's not just having that as a principle, but active discussions about what does that look like in practice in the context of that specific dialogue, um, in the context of that specific place where the dialogue's happening. Welcome to an outstanding and fun season four of the Hardwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, and I think you're going to enjoy this season and the episodes that we have forthcoming. Thank you. Welcome to another great, fun, cool episode of the Heartwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, aka the Hip Hop Forester, and I'm happy to be on today with a friend of mine, also from the South, like me. But the other thing is that this is part two. Okay, of a great conversation that we were having. Before I introduce my friend, let me just say what we were doing is we were having a conversation about the Forest Dialogue. And we were talking to one of our other good friends of the Hartwood Podcast, Gary Dunning. And he's explaining to us the origin of TFD and how they bring people from various backgrounds, okay, into this organization to talk about our practices and the intentional more and more about increasing uh, conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion. In that conversation with Gary, we talked about what diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, was in particular diversity, embracing a broad, you know, definition of many, many different identities. Equity is giving whomever whatever they need to be successful and inclusion recognizing and bringing in all of the voices in the space. And so how do we do that? And uh, Gary told us a lot about how TFD is being intentional uh, with doing that work to support communities that need help addressing issues around the environment, issues around forestry. And then, of course, those those issues do transcend into different things going on in their community, obviously. OK, and things that could be going on with families and a host of other things. The reason this part, too, is because Gary doesn't do this work alone. Gary works with other brilliant people. Okay, and one of them at the moment is with us. There are two other people that we're going to speak with, but one is here. And this is our friend Liz Felker, who also works with the Forest Dialogue, is also a graduate of the Yale School of the Environment. Uh, and, uh, and we're just glad that we were able to get it worked out, Liz, where we could get you, of course, back on, on, to, on to the, our podcast. So I want to say welcome again. I hope you're doing well today. What's going on? Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. Great to, to talk to you and to join the conversation part two and potentially be here for, for part three as the conversation continues. But thanks for having me. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, hey, like I said, it's a blessing for us to have you. And actually, Liv, we want to go ahead and just kind of just, you know, like dive on in because, you know, we know that Gary, you know, does one aspect or does one part with the Forest Dialogue. And then I know that you uh, or at least I understand, I think that you do another, you know, aspect of it or another part, but this, this, uh, you know, TFD is, it is a collective effort. And so obviously it takes a number of people to bring it together. So before we get into TFD, okay, we know that it deals a lot with social forestry though. What I'd like to ask you is, could you tell us some of your personal background, how you got into social forestry and working in social forestry? Sure. Thank you. Well, I would say that I sit really on the social side of forestry. Um, I'm really a, a social scientist, like 
in the environmental space, but I've always had one foot in forestry. And so a lot of my background is in um, really social science research and like qualitative research um, methods, mm -hmm. but around key questions around the intersection of forests and people. So sometimes that's, you know, forests and community around community-based forest management, but it can mm -hmm. also be more social science questions around how are we imagining what a forest is and how does that shape forest management and questions around power and forestry as it relates to claims to resources and claims to land. So that's a lot of my background, kind of how that bridges to interest in dialogue and starting mm -hmm. to work for the forest dialogue. I've been working for the forest dialogue since 2016. So it's been quite a while now, but I came to really identify TFD and really be interested in the work that I would go on to now do and help shape because of my prior experience in research. So a lot of the mm -hmm. research methodology that I'm trained in is all around focus group discussions and getting people together in small groups to talk with each other. In that case, it was really around forest management and traditional knowledge around forests. It's a time that I was really privileged to get to live and spend time and do research um, in Indonesia in West Kalimantan. And it was straight out of undergrad and it was such a formative experience for me and I had the chance to help support some of these focus group discussions and also go around doing in the social science world what you call key informant interviews. And mm -hmm. you go and you talk to different people at different levels of decision making around the forest and different scales and, and different relations to, to that research question. So I was so inspired by that experience, but one of my takeaways was that it seemed in my experience to be missing the point because I was going around building trust with all of these individuals when what it seemed like happened is they needed to talk to each other and find ways to build trust with each other. And I would see that happen at times in the focus group discussions where, you know, we'd be able to frame the question around something broad enough that they were able to identify what their questions were and talk with each other about challenges that were coming up for each other. So. Mm -hmm. At that time, I was super inspired around that. And little did I know that that's actually a whole like research methodology is based in that, but that wasn't what I was specifically doing then. So kind of the way it's all unfolded is at that time, I learned about the forest dialogue and kind of landed on like, well, maybe this is a group that could teach me about what, what starting with the intention of bringing people together and playing a role of kind of being the one to think about the process of, of what's discussed, but not, not setting the, the research question or not, not having this end goal of, of research. And yeah, that, that brought me to start the, the master's program at Yale and got to work for the Forest Dialogue and we'll get into it, but it was a really interesting time with the Forest Dialogue where they were really thinking about process and what that looks like and how it's evolved. And so, yeah, I've, working with TFD in different capacities ever since and um, now I'm the associate director of TFD and a lot of what I think about in that role is around the process of dialogue it's kind of like one of my key focuses ah oh this is good thank, thank you for breaking that down okay there's another word that you said that you said but you didn't say it but it's like you know and it's a, it's a simple word but it's like thoughtfulness it, to me 
the way you were saying how it's like we can go in, but we don't now go in to just do research or we don't even go in and do the research. It's about connecting with the people first. The people obviously, what, I, I was typing, you know, taking a lot of notes, but you know, there's no need to repeat brilliance, you know, without, but when you were talking about the people needing to talk to each other, <clears throat> you know, versus, you know, like us coming in and then them, you know, needed to talk, you know, to us and how you took that experience and you, let it inspire you and lead you and it contributed to bringing you, you know, gracing, you know, us at the Yale School of the Environment and then continuing to graduate and now working and well, continuing to work with the program. And so the reason why I wanted to bring up the whole thoughtfulness is because I think about diversity, equity and inclusion, in particular, diversity as a process versus just an outcome. And I'll say it like that, it's a process, you know, like, uh, when I think about uh, diversity in terms of, let's say, environmental justice, or which is a form of social justice, right? I'm thinking about those tenets of environmental justice that say, like, the the burden of proof is not just now on the victim, it's on whoever is coming in to do the work that usually results in people being harmed. You know, whoever's coming in is thinking about that before they get started. Like, nope, we're going to work to not make any victims. We're going to, you know, work to benefit everybody with what we're doing. And, as you were talking, I just felt like that's what I was hearing. You know, it's that thoughtfulness that is making your work about others. And so on that, I'd, I'd like to ask, uh, to, to ask question number two, you know, which is based on your experience, and we're both foresters here talking, you know, so based on your experience, what are the types of conflicts in the field of forestry that you have noticed? And I'm gonna add a, another piece, when considering diversity, equity, and inclusion. Okay, so like, are there any types of conflicts? And if you don't see any, that's fine, you know. But have you seen any type of conflicts with the practices of our discipline as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion? And if you don't feel comfortable, I can answer that, okay? I don't have a problem answering that myself. <laughs> well, let, me, let me first say, <laughs> I my mind goes in two directions when you ask that question, because okay. in one sense, I mean, what the forest dialogue does is around conflicts. Sometimes we try to think of it around challenges or what is an underlying, in TFD language, we use the, the term fracture line. So what's one of the, un, the underlying root cause of different challenges? And often what we'll find as underlying root causes is place-based histories around marginalization, around exclusion, really around power dynamics. So that's, you know, when you think about fracture lines, that that can often be you know, around inclusion or exclusion. <laughs> and often a starting point of what is bringing people to engage with TFD as partners or as participants in a dialogue mm -hmm. is kind of the starting point of who hasn't been included in this conversation in the past that needs to be included to actually drive solutions. And so when you're giving the introduction about TFD and how we as an organization have really evolved and changed what we do in time in the 20 years you know i see that even that the approach to that and thinking around that has changed in the same ways that the forest sector has and then i said my mind went in two directions because i do think the other direction is that um the forest dialogue some of the challenges within forestry sector in general and diversity or lack of diversity um in the the forestry sector, TFD mm -hmm. was kind of both situated within those challenges when it was founded 20 years mm -hmm. ago and was yeah. founded with the intention 
of overcoming some of those challenges. So it's been interesting for me working for the organization for six years, learning about that original intention, learning how it's evolved and how we continue to have conversations today shaped by our key steering committee members of the challenges they continue to face around these questions and how we need to continue to update. And not even update, which is we need to continue to grow and evolve mm-hmm. our process, how we're approaching things in dialogue and bringing people together. But with that in mind, the two directions that I went, I would love to hear from you mm-hmm. what's top of mind and and how that might relate to what we do at, at TFD. Well, well <clears throat> just thinking about forestry, you know, um, well, first I would say like when I was first learning forestry, I was trained, you know, we used different terms in the 90s, you know, than what we say now. You know, we, we used words like plantation forestry, traditional forestry. You know, you say that now, it might trigger people. It might, you know, uh, and a lot of people don't sit well with those two words either, I think, uh, more and more these days. So one is the way that people were taught it years ago. And then I think that when I look at how more people are learning about it now, that there's this intentional environmental, I feel justice aspect that's, you know, that's really being brought out. But we weren't taught that, you know, like in, uh, in, in the 90s, you know, we, it was a lot about doing your job, you know, making the money, supporting either the landowner or the company that you were working with and for. So then when I think about how can we address DEI, you know, in forest practices, I, I believe that, uh, I'll say it like this, I was at a conference last week and I had a conversation with, a, with an individual. We were talking about diversity. And he, he, he lives in Minnesota and he was telling me about how his great-grandfather had acquired this land in Minnesota. I thought, oh, cool, you know, and then he was telling me about how they were trying to grow certain types of trees in the area, and they just couldn't, you know, after all these years, and they've been there, this family's been there 126 years after all these years, it's like they just still haven't, you know, gotten it, you know, gotten the things to grow. And then, for real, this is what this gentleman said to me, Liz, he was like, now, should I feel guilty about what my great-grandfather did all that time ago to get that land? And I'm sitting there like, I'm standing there with this guy. That's literally what the guy asked me. Should I feel guilty about what my great-grandfather did all those years ago to get the land? I didn't do it. And I'm like, man, this is about to mess up my dinner. Crap. You know, just like when he said. <laughs> I'm like, oh, to put on you. Just right. You. So I answered him like this. I said, well, no, I don't think you should feel guilty because of what your great-grandfather did because you weren't alive and you weren't here, you know, to see it or to even do it. You know, I said, but you are the benefactor of something that he did. So then I asked him this. I said, so you know those species that you're trying to grow there and they're not growing? He was like, yeah. I was like, what about the nations that were there before your great-grandfather came? I said, did they have a problem growing anything there? And when I said that, the, the tone of the conversation shifted. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, But it wasn't because my tone shifted. I just asked that question. I was like, did the people who were there before your great-grandfather got there, did they have a problem growing things? And I said, no, they didn't have a problem growing things. So I, I told him, I said, I don't think you should feel guilty for what your great-grandfather did or however he got the land. I say he probably didn't steal it. It was probably given to him by the others who stole the land or took it, if you will. He goes, yeah. And I said, but those practices and those people who look like me who are no longer there, I said, I bet you wish you had what they knew now, don't you? And he was like, hmm. And I said, so now I don't think you should feel guilty about what your grandfather did. I think you should, you should feel bad that there were people moved off of a piece of land who actually knew how to manage it and your people didn't know how to. 
And now you want to stay on that land, but you need our knowledge in order to manifest what you want in that land. Yeah. And I said, now it changes, now doesn't it? I said, now it's not about feeling guilty about anything. It's about are you willing to share that resource with someone who could probably help you manage it better than you ever known how to. Yeah. And then, and then that's when it became about, you know, a conversation of respect and community. It, it wasn't about ownership anymore. It was now about communicating with people. So to me, that's one of those challenging issues I see with our field of forestry is that there are people who understand the forest probably like just within the last two centuries of knowledge, which is more westernized. Mm -hmm. And then, but then they also, I think, misunderstand at times their position in this ecosystem, you know, because their position in this ecosystem is not the same as your position in the business. And I think that that's what a lot of people try to do is see how we deal with the land like business, but it's not the same. You know, you can't put back in the ground what you take out. has to grow back into the ground. You can't just put it back. So I think that that's one of, for me, that's a big conflict that there are a number of us who who know that there are things in our practices that can be challenged. And it's tough to challenge them because it may feel like it's so core to who you are. Mm -hmm. And I just believe that, no, I think we can challenge it. I don't think that we should stop or get rid of it, but I do think that we can converse about it and figure out how to do it differently. And then to answer that individual's question about, I don't think people should feel guilty about things that happened in the past, but I do think you should feel convicted, especially if you're benefiting off of what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And if you claim to want things to be better for and with other people, then find a way of making, of opening that up. And I think that many people in our discipline are still struggling with that. Because I think, and I'll tell you this, this will be the last thing I'll say, because I think that to them, they think to do that is to give something to someone who doesn't deserve it. But that's why I was. I said to him, I was like, "Well, mm. neither one of us were there when your great grandfather acquired that land. You know, do you, you know, like, do you know how we actually got it? You know, and if it had anything to do with violence, or it was just given to him, I said, then that means something else happened to some other people that you don't know about. You know, if he just got it, I was like, no land was here without anybody on it. I said there were people here. You know, before this land was converted and changed. So it just. So I just say that I think that our discipline really has a lot to deal with." When it comes to land ownership, uh, not just land acknowledgement, shoot, predatory capitalism. And when you talk to people around the world, I believe in other parts, they will probably see the way we use or manage or exist on the land differently. And they will probably just talk about it differently. I'll say that. They'll maybe talk about it a little bit differently because I think that fire protection, what my community, what, what indigenous community had to say that 200 years ago, like they probably wouldn't have said it like that. And maybe they would have said something else. When, when I think about how land was converted, okay, like when I talk, I'm talking about like land usage, it was converted. When I think about states like Iowa that were covered in forest at one time and then now it's all corn, the land was converted. And so if it was converted, then you have people saying we need to keep what we're doing, you know, like we need to continue to do it right there. That's another challenge. And that's another conflict to me. You know, that's why, like I said, with that gentleman, when he didn't know, when I was like, you don't even know how to grow things there. Your family hadn't figured it out in the century, but there were people who were there before. They knew how to do, you know, so. I love connecting with you on this because I feel like what you're describing is the way that I think about a, a social process and the way TFD, we think about it. So like, how do you, oh, okay. how can you have a conversation with someone or get people to engage in a conversation that transforms you know, any ideas around maybe preconceived categories of um, who's right and who's wrong and who caused this and who's to blame and how can you approach it from a different direction or 
like you you're describing it started with a challenge that this individual is facing himself right mm -hmm. and that's what in tfd we're always starting with the like a challenge that's already been identified and people have these potentially have structures they're working within of what the problem is mm -hmm. and how to solve it but how can we engage in a social process that instead gets people to think in totally different ways about the root causes um the history of the the land and the environmental challenge that they're facing work together towards solutions that are born out of yeah just like you described like approaching from a different direction where instead of talking about this individual's feelings of guilt in in the history and and maybe the preconceived categories of of what that is and you know any sort of political ideologies or anything like that it's like move people beyond that to have a more human-based discussion based mm -hmm. in their own their own experience what they're what they're facing how they can can learn from each other and learn from traditional owners of that land and managers of that land and people that have have stewarded that land before them and maybe vision creatively together about about the future so i think in the best case scenario that's what that's what a, a dialogue is in the way that TFD thinks about it. It's how to create environments that can break people out of traditional power dynamics and, and get people to talk about things from a more personal, heartfelt space where maybe they can bridge some of the, the challenges that, that can come along with that. Oh, what, Liz, that's a perfect segue to question number three. <laughs> Okay, okay perfect go. segue. Yeah, because I was going to out because now I want to ask you, could you tell us more about the process yeah. within, you know, TFD? And maybe if I can just add a little piece to it, you know, could you tell us about the process? And in telling us about the process, do you all have ways that you ensure, and this is not a trick question, I'm, I am asking, you know, do you have ways that you ensure DEI is integrated into the process? So, for sure, I would say the the first thing with in terms of TFD's process is everything about our process is a structure of decision making. And I feel like where DEI comes in is at every every part. But the first part of the process is having what we call a, an advisory group that's really shaping the, what will be the process and the um, participants and the content of the dialogue, starting with that core group of individuals. And it's really important that that starting from there, that core group really is diverse and mm -hmm. is thinking critically about equity and how to make a, an inclusive process. So from the beginning, asking questions about who's not included in that group historically, who has been excluded from those conversations and why, and looking to what needs to happen, what conversations need to happen with people that have been historically excluded for them to be engaged. What does meaningful participation look like for them? What are their key questions? What do they need to see and know about the process to have trust in it? All of those questions are what that core group is talking about from the very beginning so it's really embedded in the root of the process and when you talk about you know are there ways that we ensure dei is included or considered i would say that tfd has a set of 
of principles that the steering committee, this is part of what was, you know, reevaluated in the recent um, safeguard policy and process okay. review mm-hmm. as reviewing these principles. And so that's what I was going to say about it, that it's something that is not static. It's something that's being, it's uh, not just principles that are kind of listed. And for example, a principle is that the process is inclusive. A principle is that there's transparent decision-making, but it's not just having that as a principle, but active discussions about what does that look like in practice in the context of that specific dialogue, um, in the context of that specific place where the dialogue's happening. It's really what's key to, to everything that follows in the, the process of the dialogue. Yeah, and I'm that that uh, thank you for explaining that. And that definitely uh, the two two words that you also just said there, and I know that that requires some discussion. You said process inclusive, so we have to you know talk about you know how is it inclusive, and you said transparent. Mm-hmm. One thing I I know I was there in the school that was something that people really wanted a lot of <laughs> they wanted a lot of transparency, and I would often uh, talk to the leadership that I was a part of. You know, and I always say to them, you know, when they when issues will come up, like Thomas, you know, what should we do? I was like, talk to them, like, tell them what you're doing. Well, we can't tell them everything. I was like, the funny thing is, I really don't think that they're asking you to tell to to tell them everything. I think they want to know how you got to the decision. I think they want to understand what's the impact going to be on them. I was like, I think if you just said that, that's transparent because that at least makes people feel or think that you thought about them when you make your decision. And I just uh, want to just thank TFD, even though we still have another couple of questions, but for even taking something on like this, doing it, but also recognizing that it is organic. As you said, you know, it's not static. It's probably going to, you can talk about the same thing three different times and it'll change each, each time, but you all have either the muscle the thick skin, the the training, you know, to continue to do this. And that's not easy. And I do want to applaud you all for that as I go to this next question. And it is uh, for TFB, social safeguards play an important role in ensuring successful stakeholder engagement. And before I continue with the question, everyone, that is very key to what TFB cares about. They care about the stakeholders. They're very intentional with that. So my question is, what role does DEI play in the design and implementation to your understanding or to your knowledge of, of the safeguard policies? Yeah, well, even in answering the question before, you heard that I was kind of blending what we've considered TFD principles and then mm-hmm. what now is kind of included as a broader safeguard policy and, and process. So TFD has had a, a set of principles, you know, mm-hmm. that it was founded on that has been updated and evolved and the safeguard uh, valuation and re- or I guess review in the last year was a lot of kind of t- moving that from principles to something that falls in the framework of or we could communicate as safeguards. So that's why I would say the principles are really important to what we do at t- TFD. Okay. The principle of dialogue and and the safeguarding really honestly came about because we were trying to apply our principles into grant requirements that they were asking us for our safeguarding policy. And so it required us taking a step back and thinking like, what is the difference between principles and safeguarding policies? And that was the main motivation there. From that, I feel like true to TFD style. So when we talk about TFD, it really is this group of 
of stakeholders in the forestry sector coming together around these questions. So we're both an organization that holds dialogue, but in itself, mm -hmm. we are also a platform. And so these stakeholders, our current steering committee members, coming together, discussing safeguards. Some of our steering committee members, they run community organizations in specific places, and some of them shared their challenges when safeguarding policies or the idea of safeguards can really be something that they view as imposed on them. It's not necessarily always reflective of the values and principles of the work that they're doing or, you know, the, the culture that they're working in. So as an organization, mm -hmm. we had a conversation about safeguards broadly, but also that, and what does it mean to have, you know, principles of dialogue that we as a group uphold, and we also use those to inform dialogue. So that's what I mean, that the way that we're even approaching this idea of principles and safeguards is something that is more of a social process of learning than it is about, you know, putting a pin in this is the definition of transparency. And so I'll just share with you specific, to give an example, I guess, or to illustrate, I feel like transparency is a key principle that we have that really has a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion in mind. The way that we've defined transparency is really about transparent decision making and making sure that all participants in a dialogue process feel like they have the ability and understand how to influence the direction of the dialogue. So understanding the mechanism of change within dialogue. That's how we've really thought about transparency and communicated it, which I still think holds and is very important. But as a steering committee group, a conversation evolved around the importance of transparency as it relates to power is really about financial transparency and talking about the flow of resources and where money's coming from and where it's going and how it's being shared to enable transformative change, you know, through dialogue. So that was a whole different direction and the different understanding of that one principle that, you know, as we had this really reflective moment as a steering committee to think about what are these principles and, and how do we uphold our mission to include diverse voices in these critical conversations. Okay, there's a lot that was said there. Uh, I was listening, taking a lot of great notes. Okay, some of the key things that jumped out at me, you know, was when you said the principles are updated. And, you know, as you're continuing to evolve yourself, you're changing at the same time. You're looking at what you've done. It's like keeping what works, but then changing what doesn't. When you said the safeguards came because of action, because of work that you were doing, you know, and you know, recognizing that you needed to make a change. It was like, you know, writing a grant or grant writing. So you all are always in action. You're always monitoring yourselves. Everyone who's listening, I want to let you know something. That that's the skills. It's not necessarily easy, okay? But when the organization does it and people do it, that's good. But then you also said that some until we communicate, some may feel that the safeguards could be opposed, you know. So even though we're thinking through uh, and coming up with uh, mechanisms so that we won't do oppressive or bad things, people could still, you know, take it as something challenging, especially if they either don't understand it or they want a part of it. But this is about dialogue the whole time. It's like it, it, everything, from what I understand, you're doing, you're, co you're constantly bringing people in, looking at power relationships, looking at the mechanisms of change, looking at the, it, the, the dialogue and how it influences what you do. 
looking at the influence of transparency, the flow of resources. I mean, you all are thinking of so many levels to me. It shows how DEI is your lens, I should say. Like, those are the glasses that you all are looking through, you know, and I really want to applaud you in doing that because I know it's not easy as a person who works on this, on these type of issues, you know, with multiple organizations. I feel like one of the things that I'm doing is helping people build up their muscle to be able to communicate about these challenges because to me it seems like that's where the majority of the difficulty is is how do we talk about things how do we change things how to plan things we change what we plan plan what needs to change and uh, you know and you all are doing this you're in the midst of it and the last one of the last things you said is how is what we're doing how will it enable transformative change and it just seems like you all are intentional with your purpose and intentional with exactly with how you do the work with the title of the organization forestry dialogue so with that as a person who just knows forestry but doesn't know the forestry dialogue i want to ask is there anything else that you would like to share that i have neglected to ask as it relates to you know our topic here on hartwood talking about the intersections of diversity equity and inclusion and about uh you know about the positive impact of tfd there's anything that i didn't ask that you'd like to share please please do i love the opportunity to for this open question. I'll say one of the things that I find most exciting about TFD, kind of personally working, what like drives me to work for the organization, but also what I'm really inspired by, why people continue to engage in dialogue and be motivated around it mm -hmm. is something that, you know, within TFD, I feel like we do have a lens of diversity, equity, inclusion we strive for these principles within our specific dialogues that we do. But one of the key kind of larger theories of change within the organization and the larger impact and, and motivation of the organization is really about what one of our steering committee members calls like fostering a culture of dialogue. So it's not just about holding one dialogue and it being really important that that one dialogue is for example, inclusive and, you know, has the meaningful participation of diverse voices. It's really about sharing this approach and this process as just one way of fostering a dialogue. And that ideally what comes out of a TFD dialogue is that mm -hmm. individuals that participated in it really feel more open to collaborations, more open to working with people outside of their own um, shared perspective or, or stakeholder group, you know, um, and have built some learning and shared understanding with other people that goes on to be, as one steering committee member puts it, a culture of dialogue. So I would say that when people think of TFD, it can be easy to think about the dialogue itself that we do, but I feel like that's the broader picture of what TFD does. Thank you for teaching me more about this today. <laughs> thank you for even, and thank you for answering all the questions, but also for that, for that wonderful closing. Uh, shoot, I'm, I'm even more excited, you know, to know, you know, to know more. And I'm glad that we've had a part two. Looks like we may end up having a part three, uh, you know, for this uh, great discussion, you know, but Liz, I want to thank you for being there at TFD. I want to thank you, you know, for continuing to do this work and for, and I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth when I say this, uh, but for making it personal, you know, because to me, when people, the way that you're talking, 
you know, you, you, you've placed yourself there. So you're thinking about the impact that you have on others to, to me. And to me, that makes it personal. And I think that that's one of the first steps that people can take to doing the DEI is to make it personal, you know, and think about the impact that you're having. And, um, and I, and I, for real, I just applaud y'all for the thoughtful approach. Thank you for doing it. Uh, I do hope that when people listen to this, they can take tips because I'm taking tips as I'm listening to you and in the interview I had with Gary, you know, before. So uh, thank you. And our friend T-Boy has just jumped back on. So I just close out by saying, everyone, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, this interview today was with Ms. Felker, okay, Associate Director of the Forestry Dialogue, Forest Dialogue, that is uh, based there at Yale University School of the Environment. And um, we have our uh, friends, uh, well, our friend Tebow always here to keep us moving. So I want to check out here and say thank you for tuning in. My friend, thank you for keeping us moving. And until uh, the next episode, everyone take care. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Richard Easley. We never want to close out our episodes without thanking our sponsors, the Yale School of the Environment, and also Mind Heart for Diversity, LLC. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in.